Hello, everyone. I'm Kirk Haddon with Artspeak Creative, and we're here today with Steve Pike, author of Next Wave, Discovering the 21st Century Church. And today we are trying to crack the code of 21st century ministry. And Steve, in your book, you lay out 12 shifts, 12 mind shifts that as the church, we need to make to be effective in shifting the, in, in the shifting landscape of the 21st century. And one of those shifts Shift number six is redeeming architecture, rethinking the way uh, that we use our physical spaces. And we've got a fantastic guest today that we'll introduce in just a minute who has done a lot of thinking about this. Can't wait to uh, talk to her in just a minute. But Steve, can you go ahead and, and break this down for us? What does it mean to redeem architecture? Yeah. Thanks, Kirk. Uh, yeah. Wow. I remember as a kid, uh, I had a paper route that took me past the church building that we actually attended or that we went to church in. And uh, it was, so every day I went by the building and there was actually a grand piano in the sanctuary. It was a big sanctuary, probably would seat, I don't know, 750 or a thousand people. And uh, this big grand piano sitting on the stage. And, and I, I would go in because I play the piano and it was so much more fun to play this big grand piano than just my little, you know, piano at home. And so I loved going in there and the sound was great and stuff. But I remember sitting there thinking, it's so weird. This building sits empty <laughs> so much of the time. Here I am sitting here and it was nice to go in and enjoy and, you know, all that. But but it just seemed like and, and I realized it dawned on me even as a teenager that this building was most of the time uh, it, it sat empty. And um, and 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 I that that idea bugged me the whole t throughout my ministry. And one of the things I started trying to think about uh, doing was making sure that whatever property we had, we used the most, uh, made the most of it, uh, optimized the use of it. And that's the idea behind redeeming the architecture is uh, recognizing in the 20th century, the idea was the church building is a place where uh, the people of God come together, worship God. And that's about it. If we're not worshiping God, then the building needs to sort of just be there waiting for us the next time we come back. And, and what happened was, um, you know, that meant that I think generously most church buildings were being used about 20% of the time and 80% of the time they sat empty or, or very underutilized. And so in the 21st century, when we talk about redeeming architecture, we're talking about redeeming the use of like being good stewards of this incredible resource that we have in real estate, in, in the physical built presence of the church. Um, and and we, we all say, we recognize that the church is the people, but we call the building the church. And so we, we turn it into something that's maybe uh, make, makes us pause from utilizing it other ways. And so um, I've given a lot of thought to that. And that's what I wrote about in the book. And after writing the book, um, and writing the chapter, I came across this great podcast called the Embedded Church Podcast, and it was hosted by Sarah Joy Propay and Eric, and I for, I, 
I just realized I forgot Eric's last Eric Jacobson. That's it. Eric Jacobson. Yes. And uh, man alive. It is a fantastic podcast. And so w- with us today is Sarah Joy. And I'm thankful that Eric's not here because I just forgot his name. <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, but but I'm, I'm really glad that Sarah Joy is with us today um, because we're going to talk about a little bit about the podcast because some of the subject matter of the podcast actually has to do with redeeming the architecture. And then we're going to get into Sarah Joy also is the founder and president of uh, Proximity Project, which is a company that helps churches optimize the use of their physical space and their assets, their property and all that kind of stuff. So Sarah Joy is just so, it's so great to have you and you're just the right person to talk about this subject so let's let's start by talking about the podcast. What what in the world possessed you? Made you think that was a good idea to start a podcast about the embedded church? And what does that mean, embedded church? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I first want to say thanks so much for having me participate and be a part of this. It's great to be here and get to share a little bit about the things that I totally geek out on, like every day. <laughs> uh, so the embedded church podcast, yes, that's hosted by me and Eric Jacobson. And I would say that both of us just have a passion for understanding the built environment and the role that place plays in the development of who we are as human beings and how we connect with our neighbors and just how we seek the flourishing of our local community. And uh, both he and I, we've sat on a couple of boards together with the Congress for the New Urbanism and so have gotten to know each other over the years. And sharing that heart together, we thought, let's start this podcast called The Embedded Church. And really, you know, the tagline that we have for the podcast right now is reweaving the connections between place, the built environment, and the mission of God. And so we really felt there was a gap in the tool belt of many churches to understand how they can be active in the place where they're located. Um, We've seen historically recently, you know, a lot of emphasis on programs and kind of that suburban growth model. And as we started thinking about just the pull back to walkable communities and how that's becoming such an important factor in many of our cities, we thought, how do we address the churches that are located in these walkable communities and really give them some frameworks to think about what role they can play in their community with their place. And so that's where we went with it. Um, And we've had four seasons so far. We're on season number four right now. Um, We're partnering with the Orman Center at Duke Divinity School, which has been a great partnership. Um, And really this season, we're focusing on um, Shalom and the Jeremiah 29-7 calling to seek the welfare of the city and really unpacking what that means in a more holistic way, um, thinking about your place um, in the built environment and being embedded. And you asked, what does the embedded church mean? And for us, um, we're thinking about a church that really is centered um, in a, hopefully in a walkable community, coming right up to the sidewalk, really finding ways to engage their neighbors different components like that. And we know that not every church meets every piece of that criteria, but hopefully every church who's listening has an element that they can relate to and learn from as we interview pastors and practitioners who are out there really thinking about how they strategize with this, with their property and their ministry. 
Wow. That is so good. And I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Embedded Church podcast. I actually don't listen to that many podcasts. Um, I'm more of a reader, but this one, I figure out ways to listen to it because it is so good. It's so relevant to the people that, that we're trying to serve. So yeah. thank you for doing this. And by the way, so Eric is a pastor of a church in a walkable community, yeah. but, but you're not a pastor. Your background is, is coming from a whole different perspective. Tell us a little bit about why, yeah. why you're a geek about this kind of stuff. Right. Well, and I think that that what makes Eric and I a great team because he comes from the pastoral side. I come from the more practitioner, real estate, boots on the ground side. So we can both bring different um, nuances to the conversation. So yeah, as you stated, I come from real estate. And I would say that my journey to this is it kind of similar to what you were talking about, Steve, with writing the chapter in this book has really come through. I mean, I love buildings. And I mean, I was that dork playing SimCity when I was in eighth grade, you know, <laughs> developing cities. So come from an urban planning, real estate background. And um, really, I would say I went about like seven years ago, I went on a walk in my neighborhood. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to observe the churches in my neighborhood. And I actually live in a pretty um, walkable community in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I've discovered there are probably about 20 churches within a mile radius of my home, hmm. which is huge. And I started thinking churches are one of the biggest landowners in my community. And what a game changer it would be if all of these churches recognized the value of their place in the neighborhood and how they could optimize that, you know, and really leverage an underutilized asset in many ways. And so I just started asking questions of various pastors I knew and said, you know, what's the deal? Like, where's the disconnect here? Um, because I think that there's so many opportunities to love your neighbor and to be the hands and feet of Jesus on the ground in your neighborhood with your property. But there's so few churches that are thinking about that. And really kind of the answers I started getting was, you know, we're, we just don't know. Like we haven't connected those dots. There's not a lot of resources that talk to that, you know? And so I started realizing like, oh, there's just some education that needs that are out there. And so mm. started really um, digging into that a bit more and creating some resources for churches to utilize, to really take the street view of their place in the neighborhood and mm. do some assessment around what they have as an asset with their property and how do they understand how that could be deployed in their neighborhood in a more strategic way? And um, what capacities and talents do they have as a church to bring to that uh, conversation as well? So I've been in the process for the last couple of years here, developing those resources through Proximity Project and providing direct uh, project consulting as well for churches that have land and are thinking through some of these things. So it's been fun. And yeah, I feel like such a faith walk. God's teaching me a lot along the way. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's why I think you're so you're, you're the right person for this, this conversation we're having today about redeeming architecture. And before we, I, I, I want to talk about this concept that, that you um, kind of introduced me to uh, of there's a difference between social and physical architecture. And I want to talk about that in a second, but um uh, I, I, I just, I, I, I was thinking as you were talking, I, I was thinking about especially a property, like I, I live in Denver, I live in downtown Denver, and there's a lot of church buildings that have been converted into condos. We have one that is a bar, yeah. uh, like a, a nightclub and, you know, all the, the host, the, the people, the hostesses wear like nun outfits that are mini skirts. I mean, it's just, it's like in your face, really offensive right. kind of stuff. 
And, you know, so it's really kind of painful to watch the mm-hmm. church buildings uh, be utilized for purposes other than, you know, uh, helping people follow Christ and, and just the tr- anyway. So one of the things that I've, I've watched painfully is, is they, some of them decide, you know, some of the churches say, okay, we're not financially viable anymore. So <laughs> they decide just to sell their property right. um, and, and they sell it to kind of the highest bidder. They don't really care. You know, they're, they're, they're saying we're going to take this money. And a lot of times what happens is they lose the physical property in the city and they take that money and they invest outside of the city. And so, you know, it's just, anyway, I, I just am curious about your thoughts about like when, if, if there's somebody sitting on some really good real estate in the middle of the city, even if the building might be kind of run down a little bit and stuff like that, what, what are some thoughts that you would have just right out of the gate with leaders like that? You know, what, what do they need to be thinking about before they, cash in, so to speak. Right. Well, I think in that regard, it's really important to know your community well and understand kind of who are the developers in your community and to start building relationships there. Because that's one thing that I, working with a church here, you know, finding a missionally minded developer to work with is something that is really important and can be really valuable as you consider, you know, what does it look like to potentially, you know, divest of our property fully or do we do a portion of that is there a way that we can do that with a developer where we can you know keep a vested interest in how this property is developed and so i work with churches to think through how do we develop a request for proposals to find a developer for our property and what are the parameters in that request that really outlines things that we strive to maintain or um, pursue as a church so that we're not just selling off to anybody and the church becomes anything, you know, Um, the project that I've been working on, one of them here that is really exciting is, you know, looking at putting in some affordable housing, um, but also continuing to allow the church to meet there um, on Sundays and, and church holidays and things like that, so that their presence is maintained, but then their burden of carrying this building by themselves is um, released as well. So it's been, but it's taken a lot of time. So I would also say, you know, to really pray and give the time and space to do the due diligence to find mm-hmm. that missional fit as best as you can. I think that sometimes we forget that God is bigger than what we think. And mm-hmm. so often what the market tells us is viable and all of that, God works outside those parameters. And so what does it yeah. mean to be faithful and to pray and to do that due diligence to really consider how this could be aligned in mission yeah. um, with who you are? Yeah, that's really good. So there's way more to think about than just how much money is this property worth? Uh, and and then and just being a good steward of the fact that, you know, once the thing that breaks my heart is once that property is sold, <laughs> yeah. it's it's not. It's going to be really hard, it, to, if ever, to be able to recoup that once right. if you're in an urban space, you know. So right. yeah. So how yeah. do you find again find that developer who's willing to do maybe a joint venture partnership yeah. that allows the church to maintain a stake in that? Because the more stake that you have in that, the more you can direct yeah. some of those decisions. And and that's you know that's a good point. Like again, I think sometimes developers just sort of we equate them with Satan incarnate, you know, because they're just coming in and taking over and all yeah. this stuff. But I, yeah. I've directly observed here in this neighborhood, there was a, a brand new apartment building that was built a couple of blocks to the west of, of our building. 
And um, when they came in, they were going to just completely wipe out this whole block and build this gigantic uh, place. But at, at the one end of the block was an older building that had the architecture from the 1800s. It was built back in the 1800s. And, um, and, it, and it reflects, there's the, the street that it's on has a lot of those older buildings and, and at least the face of them is still, it's got this look and that was just going to be destroyed by the, the original design. And so the, the neighborhood got together and went to the developer and said, hey, can, you, can we find a compromise here? Instead of just completely destroying any um, ambiance that fits the rest of the, the, the street here, could you do this? And, 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 and he did. And so the point is, uh, I, I think that we, you know, you know, there are actually developers who are not just going to uh, only care about the bottom line, but they're willing to factor other things in. So that's, that's really good. And I always challenge churches too. you know, maybe you form an LLC and you take on that developer role, you know, um, there's definitely elements of yeah. risk and returns in that. But I think also that that's one thing where the church is well positioned in so many ways, because like your standard, unlike your standard developer, you don't have holding costs for your land in many ways. And so you have that time and capacity to do some more creative work. Um, and so how do you consider that, um, and what you're doing and then, you know, um, go from there. So I think that there's definitely elements for churches to also be playing a role as developer, um, potentially. That's a, that's a great insight. Yeah. So holding costs, I'm assuming refer to things like taxes and yeah. stuff like that, that you have a dormant and, and churches don't always pay that or usually don't anyway. Well, right, right. so, and I think you can take, you know, take lower returns um, than what is typical. And that doesn't, I always tell churches, that doesn't mean you don't take any returns, um, but it may mean right. that in that missional alignment, you're willing to take some lower returns to accomplish something right. that's good for the community and, and good for you ultimately as well. Cool. If you're just joining us, this is, we're, we're trying to crack the code of 21st century ministry today. And we are here with Steve Pike and Sarah Joy Prope. I hope I said that right. Got it. <laughs> uh, who's founder of the Embedded Church Podcast, the Proximity Project, and a lot of thinking about how to use church spaces in new ways. Get us from 20% utilization to 80% utilization and exploring that topic today. If you have questions, we'd love to invite you into that, that conversation. Shoot us your questions, and, and we hope to get to those later in this call. Thanks, Kirk. And hey, Kirk, I think we do. Do we have a download today as well? Is that another feature that we have today? I can't remember if we did that. We do. You can uh, you can download this chapter that we're talking about today of your book, Steve, uh, Next Wave Shift Six. And uh, we'll have a link for you for that. You can drop in your email, get a download. You can also uh, explore the Next Wave community. Uh, with that download and, and get a chance to communicate with others and join a community of others who are working on planting churches or starting churches or doing church in difficult places. Cool. Good. Thank you. I, I, I honestly didn't remember if we had set that up or not. So thanks for reminding everybody. Uh, so this, this is a resource rich uh, call today because we've got resources from Next Wave as, and from the book, as well as Sarah Joy's um, uh, resources that she's making available through Proximity Project and the Embedded Church Podcast. So, man, you're going to come away with all kinds of stuff. So, Sarah Joy, let's talk about what what do you mean by social architecture 
And I think what, I, I think I know what physical architecture is, but what, what do you mean by social architecture? How are they different? How do they, how do they work together? What, yeah. Let's talk about that. Right. Well, I think of social architecture, it's not definitely not divorced from the physical architecture, but kind of a component within the physical architecture of what you're designing. So really social architecture is the space for relationships uh, to form, for storytelling, for shared cultural meaning to happen. And so I think that is really important for churches to understand how are we providing the social architecture for that to happen within our community? And I think about, you know, outside, not just within your church building and your programs for your people, but are there ways that you're providing that social architecture space for your community, the neighborhood where you are um, worshiping and um, being as a church? And, you know, it's been interesting. There's a lot of work, particularly done recently in sociological circles in this vein. Um, and they use a term called social determinants. And really what this is, is that they have found that people's physical health is only about 20% related to their access to things like healthcare or their genetics, things like that. And that the 80, uh, 80% of their health is really determined by kind of the environment that they're in, right? And whether or wow. not they have connections to social ties and social support systems through like public gathering spaces. Um, and, you know, do they have access to green space and being able to be outside and engage with nature? And do they have access to healthy foods and all of these things? So all of these components are very much integrated into the physical architecture of a neighborhood um, and a property, but they have a lot of social implications. And I'm not sure, I feel like most people have heard this these days, but not everybody that um, they say that, you know, your zip code really does determine your life expectancy in so many ways. And so really recognizing that that's a huge um, implication for the flourishing of the people within our community. So how do you make your zip code like the best that it can be um, for the people that are around you uh, is something that's really important to consider. So yeah, having a church consider, how are we fitting into the network of the places in our community and how are we um, providing space for those social interactions and those, that storytelling and community relationships to form? So, so you're, what you're suggesting is the that that churches become aware of their physical interaction with everything around them and not just not just see the building as a place where everybody drives into or walks to and everything happens inside the building and and it just sort of doesn't even isn't even aware that there there's life going on around them and that there's a way perhaps that they can improve life. And you just mentioned, I mean, it's a, it's a big impact. So what's an example, give us, give, yeah. give, give us an example of what that actually looks like. Yeah. And I can take such some of the smallest forms, which to me makes it so exciting is it's so manageable, but thinking about, you know, are, do you have a bus line that runs near your church property and there's a bus stop, you know, on the corner or something. I have a couple of churches I've worked with that have that. And can you provide some sort of shelter or component for the bus stop user to just have a better experience, to have a more dignified moment at the bus stop that you, you know, host on your property? Um, it also can take the shape of, I have a couple of churches who have said, oh, we actually have a lot of neighbors who come and use some of this space for like running their dogs. And so it's, okay, you know, how do you make it more of like a legitimate dog park that they can use? Um, you know, do you put some seating out? Do you put out water bowls for the dogs? Do you, you know, just things, anything like that, that would really just encourage and show, you know, we really care about you as a 
person in this space and your experience here. And so just thinking about, um, you know, you put in community gardens. Another thing is, I mean, just really playful trash cans. So there are people, you know, uh, particularly in urban environments where you might deal with a lot of trash around the property. And a lot of times that's because there's not access to a lot of public trash cans. So how do you put in some playful trash cans, ones that, you know, could be artistic and kind of fun that add to the beauty of the property rather than, you know, your blue Rubbermaid. <laughs> um, but it can be ideas as simple as that. But again, really, I encourage get out and take that street view of your property right. and think about who walking by on this property, what do we convey to them? Um, do we convey that we care about you? Or is it, you know, really, you have to come inside to get any sense of who we are and what we're about? Um, so how can you bring that outdoors? So like you're, you're making me think about, I think part of the idea behind the cathedrals uh, were, was to sort of be an expression of kind of the grandeur and the glory of God. So there, the building itself was making a statement to the people about the goodness and greatness of God. And you're almost saying uh, we, we want to kind of do that with our still want to do that with our buildings, not necessarily um, in cathedral form, although I don't think that's wrong. But even if you have a very sort of utilitarian kind of a building that isn't glamorous from an architectural standpoint, um, you can you, you want to actually think of that as a way of being part of the message that right. you're trying to convey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always start so, out asking churches, you know, what message does your property send about who you are? Um, yeah. and really think about that, you know, and I think to the flip side of having the, the beautiful cathedrals and all of that, I mean, there's something very beautiful and good about that as well. And one of the things I think in today's current age is there's such this desire for places of sacredness and, um, and meditation and some of things like that. And so if you are a church that has some of those just really beautiful spaces that invite people into that meditative um, space, you know, what are ways that you can actually share that with the community in a broader way, rather than have it be um, only accessible through, you know, Sunday services and things like that? Are there ways that you can invite people into that? Awesome. So we've got a question coming up from from the audience. But before we get to that, I want to just ask you to talk about this phrase that I've heard you use, design for dignity. You, you said that uh, something about the dignity around the bus stop kind of thing, yeah. but what do you mean by design for dignity? Yeah, it's the term that I like to give to thinking about what does it mean to value the human being and to develop and design on a scale that really values the humanity of who we are. And those are, we have limitations and I think that's one thing that is actually a gift. Um, our modern society really tries to push past those limitations, um, but the limitations that God has given us are really ways that um, encourage our flourishing um, and are ways that we are more dependent on him, more dependent on one another in community. And those types of relationships are actually what um, give deep meaning to our lives. And so recognizing those limitations is really important. And so how are we designing for dignity that really values that human experience? And so one of the things that I always promote um, and several of my colleagues in the same vein do as well is designing on the human scale. Um, 
we have pushed so much of our world into the world of driving and cars. And I think, you know, unfortunately, churches tend to do this too, where you develop a building and a space kind of centered all around the parking lot, right? And so you're really making this assumption that um, the car is the priority in many ways. And, you know, I recognize that many people drive, parking lots are necessary, you know, so I'm not saying just get rid of the parking lot. At the same time, how can you even design that parking lot in a way that actually values the human being walking from that car to the church door more than the car and the user experience of just getting in and out of the parking lot, right? Um, but really thinking about what does it mean to feel safe as a human being walking across a parking lot? Um, so putting in, you know, painted pedestrian crosswalks and ways to kind of separate um, that walking experience from the traffic of the parking lot, um, providing shade, uh, you know, just again, what are ways that you can really think about what it means to be a human being in that environment um, and taking the time to really value that? So, um, that's, you know, a lot of people don't spend a lot of time about thinking about how do I make my parking lot beautiful? It's very utilitarian, but I think that there's so many opportunities to even use that space to convey something very different to people who arrive at church. We really value you as a person and your safety and the experience that you have even walking from your car <laughs> to the church right. door. Yeah. Awesome. Go ahead, Kirk. This conversation, Yeah. I, you know, we think a lot about uh, at ArtSpeak, how does the church present itself to the world? What what are we communicating uh, with the words that we use and with the colors that we choose? And here you're yeah. taking it into these physical spaces. What are we communicating about the church? What are we communicating about God and the gospel with our spaces? And so I, I love that conversation. Um, and we've been kind of focused on, uh, so far in this conversation, these churches, churches that have spaces already and maybe have had in that location for 100 years or more. Um, but of course, some of our audience here are looking at starting new churches and trying to go into these same walkable communities, um, but starting without a place. Right. And so I hear this question here. I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts and suggestions on non-traditional spaces and creative leasing ideas. Uh, if you've got a church that's trying to get a start here, doesn't have a space, uh, what are some things, some ideas they could be looking at and uh, your perspectives for these yeah, traditional so spaces? I always, you know, encourage, again, how well do you know the local community? Do you have a place that you're really seeking to find that building within? Um, so I encourage churches to first start out understanding what are your you know parish boundaries if you will can you draw them out on a map and then really do some deep exploration of what organizations are housed within these parish boundaries what buildings exist you know and really just do some intellect uh, intel gathering in terms of like who you can make those connections with um, are there other churches in these spaces that you know you could utilize their building um, and share alongside of them i think that a lot of times um we, we think about property searches in terms of um, kind of during the week, but I go on a Sunday morning, um, you know, skip church on a Sunday morning, <laughs> but go and see, you know, what spaces in the neighborhood are quiet on Sunday mornings. And is there a way that you can uh, figure out who the owner is and how you can connect and what it might look like to utilize some of that space. So I always, and again, I tell people to, Pray and be patient. If you're committed to a particular area, um, 
really stay committed to that area. And I think to me, that's very important. That's part of being part of an embedded church. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do think that God hears those things and he answers or he opens doors in ways that you just wouldn't expect. So um, I have a, you know, various churches that have one that like works with a school and rent space with a school, one that um, uh, rent space with a theater that's closed, you know, on Sunday mornings, because nobody's putting on shows or watching movies on Sunday mornings. Um, and what's really fascinating about the church that uh, rents space with the theater for their main sanctuary space, what that has actually allowed them to do is to purchase property for more of the ancillary things that they do as a church. So they own a building that uh, houses their Sunday school components and their administrative offices. And then that building has much more flexible use with it because Sunday school rooms can accommodate other types of uses throughout the week. Whereas a large sanctuary space is the most probably unusable space of a church building, right? Um, So if you can find creative ways to maybe rent that component, but then have ownership and other components in ways that then you can open that up to the community. So I love the way that church has set that up for their programming. Um, It's been cool to watch. So yeah, there's a lot that you can think about. And I think too, just knowing, you know, renting versus ownership and really doing some understanding of your own capacity for one or the other and the implications that come with, um, with both avenues, there's various implications. So really assessing that with yourselves is important. Yeah, you, you just brought up something I think that uh, is super important to, to consider in this whole um, matrix of, of thought. Um, I don't know if that's a phrase or not. But anyway, this this line of thinking uh, about the building, the idea of the sort of thinking about what is our parish, you know, there's uh, sort of the, the the more conventional way of thinking about the church nowadays is just got to have a location. People can drive there. And there with that mentality, there's less of an awareness and a commitment to the local actual community. And if the church kind of outgrows that facility, they just pack up and move, you know, two, right. two neighborhoods over or two suburbs over. Because, again, the whole idea is, is to have a place where everybody can drive to and come. You're talking about a really different philosophical way of thinking about it. So um, when, if somebody doesn't have space, they really have to think about what is what is our philosophy of ministry? Um, because it does it, it may be really hard to commit to a place, but the missional value of that is worth pressing through the difficulty of finding a space that's in that actual community uh, that they're trying to serve versus just saying, well, we'll go for here for now, but then we'll just pick up and, and move two neighborhoods over or, right. or two suburbs over. Um, so that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. And I think I would just add that, you know, somebody who's thinking about, um, uh, you know, leasing a, a space needs to think, what is your, what is your philosophy on that? And, are, and uh, again, not saying one is better or worse. I think there's a place for both of those, but uh, if you're if you're committed to a community, then be there. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, and I recognize these are not easy. It takes a lot of grit. This is not easy just to say, <laughs> you know, stay at that table, figure out, you know, different types of space and kind of cobbling together. I mean, there's a lot that can go into that, and I recognize that. So um, I don't say this lightly. At the same time, I do believe that you know God provides, and He also calls us to be risk takers and to steward 
things well. And so um, we were not called as a church to live comfortably and to have it easy. Um, And so I think challenging people to remember that um, and it's, it's, scary and exciting at the same time because <laughs> yeah. I've heard story after story of how God has brought things together for churches that are really pursuing um, their local community yeah. And, yeah. and pressing in. Yeah. Which is thus the embedded church uh, is the name of the, you know, you're, you're choosing to be in that place. Yeah. And, and as your current season on embedded church, you're talking about you know, working for the shalom of the community. And that, so that says something about perhaps, um, especially in an urban, a more urban community, being committed to an actual place and, and being willing to, to, to work through the challenges and difficulties and not just picking up and moving. We actually have a, a couple of examples. It's kind of amazing where people have really decided God's called them to a particular neighborhood yeah. in the city that has certain characteristics and, and there, and, and they craft their ministry around that. And then they lose their space and they have chosen to stay in that, in, in that neighborhood, even though uh, the cost of doing that is, is very difficult. And uh, so I think that, again, it's people all have to follow God where he's leading. And um, but but just don't just immediately run to, well, let's just go find the, the cheapest place, even, you know, even though it's two miles away, people will follow because, you know, maybe that's not the case. Yeah. And I think if you think back to Jeremiah 29, 7 and the, that call, um, you know, the Israelites are living in exile. They're not in a place that's comfortable at all. <laughs> and yet God says, build houses and plant yeah. and be in that place. And um, yeah. so. Yeah, that is. Yes, yes, yes. Boy, we, we, we could spend the rest of the time talking about that. I think there's another question, Kirk, that somebody has posed. There is. And again, if you're just joining us here, we are here with Steve Pike and Sarah Joy Prope, uh, founder of uh, the Proximity Project and the Embedded Church podcast, talking about how, how do we rethink how we use our physical spaces. And uh, we're, we're talking about how we can serve our communities here. And, and Sarah, you, Sarah Joy, you, you brought up earlier the idea of having um, fun trash cans. <laughs> out where we could serve our community just by having uh, fun trash cans in our space. But we do have a question here where someone's got uh, in their church, they've got a parking lot, their neighbors are using their parking lot, uh, they're using their dumpster and filling it up. Um, and it, I wonder what you would say to that, where you've got lines of uh, serving the community, but maybe there, there's a line where you'd say, hey, that's abuse of what we're doing. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would be curious to know more of the, you know, when neighbors are using the parking lot and kind of the conflicts that that's potentially raising. Um, so I think, you know, starting from a place of asking questions is always important, not coming in with accusations, but better understanding, you know, are there needs here that they have that for some reason aren't being met? Um, how do we work together to understand what, you know, are there ways that we can compromise or make that work? Because yes, I don't think that just using other people's property is necessarily a good path to go either. Um, and I give an example like this, and I don't know if it's at all relatable to the person who uh, posed the question, but 
I had a church here who had a parking lot that they had um, during the week. There was a man who would come and he would bring a couple of cars and do mechanics work on the parking lot, you know, and for them, it didn't conflict at all with um, Sunday services and needing parking at that point, really. Um, So they were kind of like, you know, during the week, this is fine. We're not too worried about this, you know. Um, but then there were some times where it started to like encroach upon like, oh, we kind of actually like need some of this space now. And now we don't know what to do because this guy's just kind of like commandeered it in some ways. <laughs> um, and one of the questions that I asked the church is, well, do you have, you know, young people in your church who you think would benefit from learning to change oil or learning to change a tire and, or some of these things that this guy probably knows? Um, and they were like, yeah, actually that problem, you know, I was like, what if there was like a discussion about like, Hey, you know, we want to like allow you to use this space, but there are limitations on like when and how you can use this space. Um, you know, you have this knowledge and this talent that we could benefit from. Can we kind of create some sort of like working partnership here with us? where like, you know, you're allowed some of these spaces because you're like teaching our youth, some of these like skills and trade things. Um, but then here's kind of where the line gets drawn and this is where like we need you gone, but like we're, you know, so the understanding kind of what is going on and what the needs are and maybe finding some creative ways to partner in that, I think is really important. Um, yeah. And I don't know in terms of the city dumpster and how that all is working. Um, but I think that again, coming out of pl- coming to it with a place of, of inquiry uh, rather than accusation is always a good way to start. Um, with things like that. And yeah, and many times, I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that you can find resolutions, but <laughs> I know sometimes it gets tough. So hopefully that's helpful. I love that. I love that. Yeah, so good. So what are your thoughts about the personal and work architecture where people live and work? How is that? Yeah. Part of the architecture of the church. So we're, we're talking about the, you know, we've been focused on the building and the property that's collectively shared, but then you have the places where people live and work. And how's that part of the architecture of the church? Yeah, I think one of the things that is really important is to, as a church, help your congregants cast a vision for what this looks like, even within their neighborhood and their own home. Um, and so understanding, like, how do you practice hospitality within your neighborhood? And how do you do that in the way, in the physical design of your home? And one of the things that I think is really important to consider of how do you be that family who plays outside in the front yard rather than the backyard? We have pushed so much of our activities to the backyard, and that really doesn't open up the space to get to know neighbors. And so how do you maybe change the whole dynamic on your block simply by being out in your front yard? I mean, put out a picnic table. I know there's been like... um, a bunch of news stories over the past few years about the woman and the turquoise picnic table. Um, I don't know if y'all know these, uh, but there was a woman who had a, she had ordered some like picnic table that she was going to put in her backyard. They delivered it and like put it in her front yard. And she just started actually using it in her front yard. And then she saw like this totally changed the dynamic of my whole block because like people started getting to know each other actually. And then, so she painted it turquoise and then started this whole movement of, <laughs> turquoise picnic tables. Um, but it's things as simple as that. And again, too, what are the, what are the talents or the passions that you have as a family that you can share with the rest of the world in terms of, you know, do you like to play music? What does it mean to like go out and sit out on the front porch or in the front yard and like 
play the guitar on, you know, a Friday night and um, invite neighbors to just really enjoy that. And I think during COVID, that's one of the, one of the kind of the fun things to see, right? A lot of that type of stuff has happened in our neighborhoods. And I think that really has sparked people getting to know their neighbors in a more meaningful way. So really, again, taking kind of that idea of hospitality and public space um, to people's homes is really important. Um, and then too, just when it comes to work, I think too, again, how does a church really uh, give um, the tools and kind of the resources for people to consider um, their work and uh, how they can be good stewards of their places at work. And, uh, you know, um, Amy Sherman, she has written a couple of books and does a lot of work about churches being agents of flourishing in their communities. And um, one of the things that she's talked about is, you know, do you have um, trade guilds even that you establish like through your church that um, for your congregants, but allow your congregants to come together and to talk about, you know, their profession and the spheres they're navigating like as a doctor or um, as a teacher and some of those things. And so how are you supporting that system so that then those people can take that um back to their workplace, you know, and that's more of the social element than like the physical architecture. But I think, um, again, you can create places and spaces for that as a church to, to really impact people's lives as they are the church scattered throughout the week. So even a, a, a church that doesn't have a property that they own and they control or they lease actually has architecture. Yeah. <laughs> in the in the places where the people live and work. So that's actually part of the architecture of the church. And right. and what you're what you're advocating is being proactive about um, how do we, how do we optimize that architecture that that is in our homes and our places of work and, and that, that kind of stuff. That is so good. So good. Um, so. What what you know, so somebody maybe, uh, Kirk, are there any more questions right now? I want to make sure. There, I there is one that came in and I think it's very relevant. In fact, I know of churches, I know of a church, for example, that has a big chunk of land mm -hmm. in between two neighborhoods, back straight up to, to houses of these, these neighborhoods. And they had the idea, why don't we make a park of some kind out of this? Uh, but one of the questions that comes up with that is insurance liability. So we have this question coming in, insurance liability seems like a big threatening stick to shut down right. these creative conversations. Right. Uh, what have you found that, that helps this work together? Yeah, yeah. And that is always one of the first questions that gets asked. So um, I'm not shocked by that question at all. You know, and I would say, and I always say, you know, check with your insurance agent. I'm not an insurance agent, so I can't speak definitively on these things. Um, at the same time, the conversations that I have had with insurance agents around church property is actually churches are carrying already a large amount of insurance because technically you're opening up your property to the public every single week, multiple times a week. And so you, um, in order to like add any sort of extra writers or these different things for maybe a playground and some of these things um, is usually not that significant of a cost difference. Uh, and so I would say, you know, check with your agent, but likely that's not gonna be a big swing in the budget. And um, there, I know there's other things that you can do. Like there's a church here that has a playground that's open to the public, but there's a very large sign that says, you know, this is an unattended playground. And, you know, 
you're entering at your own risk in some ways, you know, so things like that. Um, I know that there's ways to make sure that you're limiting that liability and that risk. Um, but those to me are not hurdles that are too hard to overcome in many ways. So just doing the necessary work to make sure you fully understand is important. And I would say too, you know, in those spaces, um, thinking through of like working with somebody who, you know, can provide some good insight into like landscape architecture and things like that, because you do want to make sure that the way spaces get designed and developed don't create, you know, areas that feel insecure or hidden, um, that you're making sure that sight lines are good and visibility is good and all of those places to really deter any unwanted activity as well. That's so good. Um, so, people there may be some folks that are they're listening and watching and they are like inspired and they're like okay i'm i'm ready to optimize our property or you know make the most use of all the architecture that we have what are some steps what are the first steps people can take yeah. to maximize their property well i really encourage people to start just thinking about what are the underutilized spaces on this property um, and really start identifying what some of those might be. And then also identifying what are the underutilized gifts and assets that we have within our congregation. Um, the people in your pews are some of the most important gifts that you have. Um, and so tapping into that and really understanding, you know, what are, what are things that we could be doing? I always say, you know, um, there's a lot of churches that are very active in things like serving at the soup kitchen and things like that, which I don't say dismiss as, you know, those things need to happen as well. But, I know that things like that probably don't pull at the heartstrings of, you know, the guy who works in real estate development as much. <laughs> so how do you how do you tap into, you know, those people who have these talents and these gifts that um, really don't get utilized through the church in many ways? And so how can you start exploring that? And, um, you know, I always say to start really small. Um, so oftentimes when you're starting to think about, oh, how can we do something creative with our property? Um, and what are the things that you can do to kind of pilot a project? Um, so, and I always give the example, I worked with a church here that had, um, a fair number of things happening on their property in terms of creation care. So they had, um, they kept bees, they had some beehives, they had some like native gardens that were, you know, cultivating pollinators and butterflies and things like that. And, um, it was quite beautiful. And, it was so funny because I come into the church and in the front lobby is this great sign that tells you all about what's happening outside. <laughs> and I was like, why is this sign inside? So that anybody would have to come into the church to really understand your vision for this and what you're actively doing. And I said, well, let's, let's pull this outside. And, you know, do you want the neighborhood to like know and participate and understand this? And they're like, oh yeah, that'd be great. Um, so then we came up with this idea of how do we create a walking path and some signage that simply tells about what we're doing and invite people to participate with our property in that way. And so we did a demonstration project with the church. Um, it cost all of $800 and some elbow grease for them to kind of mow a walking path on their property, put in some temporary signage, and we had invited the congregation to participate on a Sunday. We printed up a little map and um, put it in the bulletin and then invited people to participate. 
And it just ignited such an excitement within the congregation. People were like, this is amazing. Like we're doing all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, like, why are we not inviting, you know, the neighborhood to participate? And then in that process, we met with the local townhome association who was next door and told them about what we were doing. And they got so excited and they were like, oh, maybe we can apply for this like county grant together to do some watershed cleanup. And, you know, and so it sparked this whole conversation and partnership there that, um, and so it was just really exciting to see that for $800, it really just like began to cast a vision for them in a whole new way. And I think that that's really important because I always say, let's root the conversation in reality. Um, there's a lot of pushback that comes when we are worried about hypotheticals. Um, and you can't get answers to hypotheticals. You know, you can only swirl and kind of the unknown and the, you know, what might happen and what might go wrong. Um, but if you can take a small step to begin rooting it in reality. And so I say, spend the least or spend whatever amount of money is feels like not a risk. Like people won't care if it totally fails because we've only spent like 500 bucks. Right. <laughs> um, so start there and do something to give that conversation a real place to land and to say, you know, did that work? Did, did all those things we were scared of happen or, and it also allows you to start seeing, you know, oh, we didn't plan for this and that happened. So, okay, we need to understand that for like the next round of, of what we do. Um, so I feel like those are kind of the places where I tell people to start is really understand what assets are on your property and underutilized? What assets are within your congregation? And then how do you take that first small step to just do that test run um, and spark a vision and to, to um, assuage some of those fears of the unknown and the hypotheticals? So, so we kind of started this conversation by talking about the 20% that, and, and we sort of agree that might even be optimistic, a 20% <laughs> usage. Um, and maybe the best we can get might be 80%. Um, but the point is moving from where we're at to a much more uh, effective utilization of, of our property and our real estate and, and our architecture in all of its forms. So what are some, what are some just big ideas around going from 20 to 80%? How do we get there? Yeah, I mean, I think simply some of it is is just opening up some of that public space on your property to be used in a more consistent way um, that people might enjoy i think to the parking lot you know people always talk about the parking lot so how do you create it it's a way that it becomes a gathering space and it may not be 24 7 right but um, maybe once a month you have a food truck festival that you bring in some food trucks on a saturday and it's something that the neighborhood can access or even on a sunday you know what does it mean to, instead of having your congregation, you know, either have your own potluck, which is great at times, but how do you maybe open up that potluck to be then supporting the local restaurant economy by bringing in some food trucks and having it happen that way and inviting the neighborhood to participate and join, um, you know, putting in basketball courts on your parking lot and some of those types of things. There's just a lot that can be done with parking lots. Um, so how do you think strategically about that? And then too, I mean, again, space within your, within your church building, you know, is there programming that you're doing um, that could be reshaped in some way that would open it to um, more of a neighborhood use as well? So maybe you already have some great programming happening. 
but you really haven't thought about how that gets opened up for the larger neighborhood. Um, so is there some simple things you're doing already that could be repositioned in new ways? Uh, so I think just really thinking strategically about that and taking that street view, like I said. Yeah, and, and one thing we haven't really talked much about but uh, and we've just got a few minutes left here, so <laughs> answer quickly uh, is the idea of actually even doing for-profit things in the building that provide a good and a service that is desired and needed right. in that community. Anything we need to know about that? Yeah, you know, and there are several churches who are considering and have to put in, you know, co-working spaces or different types of things like that that um, are important. Um, like a lot of communities need entrepreneurial, like incubator space is very common. Uh, bike shops, that's another one I've seen often. Uh, so there's some creative things that can happen with church building. You know, and again, I think it's, it's just being wise in that um, because churches can get um, hit with, unrelated business income tax and some of those things that you have some of those for-profit uses in your um, property. And it's a very gray area of the law and the tax system. So there are ways that some of that stuff can be set up so that it is considered, you know, related to the church mission. And then there's other ways where it's really hard to make that case. And so um, as long as you have a good tax accountant and attorney, a lot of that stuff can be navigated and, you know, and I think, too, if um, there are churches who have said, you know, we recognize we're going to have to pay this, you know, unrelated business income tax and we're OK with that and we're planning yeah. for it, you know, yeah. so it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to, like, at every way possible, get out of that, <laughs> um, right. but just be wise and plan for it if that is the case. So. So good. So good. So, wow, there are. You know, when you start talking about this and the, the potential is so amazing in almost any property. And uh, I'm just so thankful for you being with us today, Sarah Joy, to help us think about this. And uh, so, Kirk, why don't you uh, land the plane here and, and uh, wrap it up for us? Absolutely. Sarah Joy, thank you so much. I'm so excited for this conversation. I've got ideas now that I want to talk about, but uh, we don't have time. But uh, I'm sure there are so many more ideas that you can find out on the Embedded Church podcast. So go subscribe to that. Listen to uh, Sarah Joy and Eric as they talk about how to do this in various communities. Also look up uh, Sarah Joy's The Proximity Project, where she can, she can help you think through this, and uh, among other things. Uh, also, uh, Steve Pike, and uh, his book, Next Wave, this is available. We've got a link for you where you can go and download uh, this chapter that we're talking about redeeming architecture for free uh, in exchange for your email. And you can also try out uh, <laughs> the Next Wave community where uh, we're, we're trying to give you resources like this on a consistent basis, get you in connection with other people that are doing the same thing that you are, especially in, in starting churches in difficult places in the 21st century. We'd love to resource you as much as we can there. And thank you again so much for joining us today. Can't wait to see you next time.